Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Aloha, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil. I'm Rasha Pecorero. And I'm Yvette Gentile. And this week, we're talking about the murder of Sandra Gallus. This murder took place back in 2006, and it happened in Hawaii, our home state. And I know many people think of the beautiful islands of Hawaii as a tropical paradise, which it absolutely is. But it's a place you don't think that murder or crime would happen, but it's just a place like anywhere else. And sadly, it does happen sometimes. And the thing about this case is that it it seemed like it was an open and shut case, but this took so long for justice to actually come to this case. And it's really because of the parents, the family, the Ohana, the village that fought for justice. Yes. And we are so grateful today to have part of that village with us to join us in a conversation about Sandy. We have two members of her Ohana with us here today. But first, our producer Trevor is going to walk us through today's case. In January of 2006, 27-year-old Sandra Gallus was found strangled in her car parked in the garage of her LALA home. Police launched a murder investigation but never arrested a suspect and the case went cold until now. Kauai police have arrested a man for the murder of Sandra Gullis. He was her ex-husband. Kauai police say this has been a collaborative effort and they say they were able to track down the suspected killer because of improved DNA technologies and a new cold case unit. Sandra Gallus was a 27-year-old woman who was killed in Hawaii in 2006. On the morning of January 25th, Sandra was found dead in her car, parked in her garage at her home in Kauai. The causes of death were strangulation and blunt force trauma to the head. Seven years earlier, she had married Darren Gallus. Together, they had two sons. In April of 2005, Sandra and Darren separated after she discovered that he was cheating on her. They decided to share custody of the boys. Darren was opposed to getting legally separated. 
He grew even more upset when he learned that Sandra had a new relationship with a man named Ryan Shinjo, a chef who reportedly lavished Sandra with expensive gifts. When Sandra picked up their sons from visits with Darren, the two of them would get into bitter arguments. And in January of 2006, she wrote to her attorney, describing an incident in which Darren had yelled at her while also shaking her violently as she was in the hospital. On January 23, 2006, his co-workers witnessed Darren losing his temper when he saw Ryan and Sandra out together in public. The following day, Sandra spent the night at Ryan's house, and the next morning, he dropped her off around 6 a.m. Neighbors then saw her car leave to pick up the boys from their father's house. The car returned a short while later, but without the boys. She would never arrive to pick them up. Later that morning, Ryan Shinjo found Sandra Gallus strangled and beaten in her car, parked in her garage. Friends and family thought this case would be open and shut, and that Darren Gallus would go to jail. But this was not the case. The police chief said, quote, You have to have some physical evidence and an eyewitness. Darren Gallus had the means and the motive, but that was not enough to charge him. Despite Sandra's parents' objections, Darren gained custody of their sons, Austin and Brayden. And although Sandra's parents tried to stay in touch with their grandchildren, they believed that Darren was brainwashing the kids against them. With no new evidence, the case went cold. Over the years, Sandra's parents would go door to door seeking new information. They even appeared on Dateline. They also started a foundation dedicated to raising awareness of Sandra's murder. Finally, years later, a key piece of evidence was discovered pointing to Darren Gallus, and he was indicted for second-degree murder. In 2018, he reached a plea deal and was given a maximum term of 10 years in prison. Though the family believes he deserved worse, and his sentence was reduced in 2022. And so, who was Sandra Gallus? What really happened to her in 2006? And how does this story of a family seeking justice reveal the power of community and dedication? Today we are so grateful to have Lawrence Mendonca Sr. and Lawrence Mendonca Jr. They are the father and the brother of Sandy Gallus. We are so honored to have you both on the show today, and especially Larry. Thank you so much for being here on your birthday. You just turned 82 <laughs> to be here with us to talk about your beautiful daughter. It's It just means so much. So thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so haoli la hanao, Larry. Happy birthday, Larry. So dad, we're going to call you Larry. And then Lawrence Jr., of course, Lawrence, so our listeners know. But thank you so much for being here. And we know that we are all from the same beautiful state raised in Hawaii. And I feel like it's going to be one of the many things that we we share. I would love to know what was it like growing up for you, Lawrence, in Kauai? It was awesome. I mean, <laughs> as you all know, I mean, the state of Hawaii is just incredible, right? It's yeah, not just the yeah. beauty of the of the aina, but also just the beauty of the people. And it's a privilege to have grown up there and experienced life on the island. Absolutely. It's, you know, Hawaii is really a special place. Can you start to tell us about your sister? Like, what was it like 
you know, growing up with your sister, what did you guys do together? What was your life together like? Well, you know, the first part of growing up on Kauai, we lived on a ranch in Anahola. <laughs> so, you know, it was 142 acres, had our own waterfall in front of the house, and a beach, front access. So, you know, we used to go out. I used to take my pellet gun, and she used to get a little fanny pack, and we would go. We had, <laughs> we had two fruit orchards on on the property, so we would go, and we'd be gone all day, right? We'd go. Mm -hmm. If we got hungry, we'd go pick tangerines or oranges or mangoes or whatever and, and eat whatever, shoot doves, and those are one of the things, you know, if I shot something, I had to eat it. So I always, if, if I yeah. shot a dove, <laughs> yep, I had, that's right. had to clean it and eat it, bring it home, mom would cook it, you know. But, and we would go to the beach and just hang out on the beach and play it. And you know, it was time to come home. We knew, you know, it started to get dark. All right, we got to go back to the house. Mom's making dinner. So, <laughs> so it was, you know, it was awesome. What was the age difference between the two of you? Two years or year, nine months. A, a little, a little shorter of a distance. Yvette and I are eleven years apart, but I would just follow oh, her wow. around everywhere. Yeah. But, but we were city girls. We never got to kill anything and eat it. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, peas maybe, but that's about it. But. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, I would love to know your your backstory and you and your wife. Obviously, you made the conscious decision to raise Sandy and Lawrence on Kauai. What, what made you decide to do that, especially having lived all over the world and in Japan, if I'm not mistaken? I was born on Kauai. Oh, you are a Kauai boy. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm an Oko boy all the way through. I love it. And I got ready to retire from the military. Lawrence was four years old. Sandy was two years old. Hmm. Sandra was, uh, actually born in Japan, the country of her, her mother. And uh, the reason I came back to Hawaii was I have I had three brothers, two older, one younger. We were all military brats, if you will. Mahalo for your service. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. I was the only one that came back to Kauai. Hmm. The other three actually ended up uh, living in Texas and or Oklahoma. So I came back basically to take care of mom and dad. Mm -hmm. There was nobody here to take care of mom and dad. And uh, I, I I think it was the right decision. I I don't regret it, and, uh, other than the fact of losing Sandy. But uh, of course, that was her decision. So Lawrence, growing up with your sister, you know, as you guys started to get older, you know, in your teen years, like, what was, you know, some of your sister's dreams? Like, what did she want to be or do, you know? She always wanted to have a family. Um, you know, she loved being with her friends. She loved dancing hula. Was she in a halal? She was. She uh -huh. was. She performed a lot. In fact, Dad can verify this. What was she in the Kolo Plantation Day Parade? When she was uh, younger, she uh, joined... Uh, Lilani Bond Hula Halau. She participated in the uh, Keke Hula competition. And um, while she was in high school, she actually worked part time on uh, Yalele riverboat uh, trips up to the Fern Grotto and Wailua Wail River. And that's where she made her spending money. Oh, I love it. <laughs> she was a, a, a local girl through and through. 100%. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 100%. She was 
never satisfied with everything. She was always in a hurry to get get what she was doing. <laughs> she actually uh, convinced us to let her join the uh, gymnastics for school when she was five years old. Shortly thereafter, then she decided she wanted to learn hula. So she was doing gymnastics and dancing hula, learning to dance hula. I love it. And that was the story of her life. She always did that. Uh, when she went to college after high school, she wasn't satisfied with uh, taking 15 or 18 credits per semester. She wanted more. She oh. called us and said, I can, I can take more. I can take more. <laughs> no, we, we, we put a stop on that. <laughs> but she, she wanted to do everything, but she never really thought about it as to managing her time. Mm. So we'd sit her down and say, okay, where are you going to get the time? I'll make time. I'll make time. <laughs> that was Sandy. That was, that was her life. Sounds like Sandy really had a lust for life. And especially when you dance hula, you have to, you know, appreciate the aina, the land that you come from. And she just sounds like a beautiful soul. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'd love to ask you, Lawrence. So we're here to tell Sandy's story, to get her voice out there and 
to know more about what to look for, because we're always looking for the light in the darkness. And so if you feel comfortable, can you walk us through, did you see signs leading up to her unfortunate death of domestic violence or anything that you were like, oh, I'm worried for my baby sister? Looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You look back on things and you're like, oh, I would have paid more attention or we would have paid more attention. Maybe something could have been done. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I distinctly remember one instance and I was, I had come home for, I don't know if it was the summer or, or what, but I happened to be home on Kauai and she came to visit um, is when at that time she only had her first son, Austin, my, my oldest nephew. And she was at the house and we're all sitting around and I was playing with the kids and um, I happened to look down at her thigh and she had this big old bruise on her leg. And I was like, and I jokingly, I mean, looking back pretty inappropriately, <laughs> but said, Hey, mm-hmm. you're human. What happened there? What happened there? Uh, he beat Darren Bre- beating you or what? And she just kind of played off. She's like, no, I ran into the table or whatever, you know, typical response. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, you know, it probably was a result of, of something of that sort. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that kind of wears on me. But you can't let that get to you, Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the most part, I mean, she, she knew if she ever told me or dad or any of the family or any of our really close friends, what was really going on, she knew what would happen. And, you know, she was very much the type that would take care of things on her own, whether it didn't matter what it was, you know? Mm. She was a go-getter. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So looking back, yeah, there are probably signs that that weren't as obvious. And me being away from home so much, I may not have seen it a it's whole hard. lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If I was home more, maybe I would have been able to see more of it and just kind of get a grasp on it and, and kind of reel it in. And there were definitely signs there. One of the reasons that I was so attached to this case and it so emotionally struck me is just the circumstances and, you know, the way that things happen and how he didn't get convicted until 12 years later. But you, the family, your Ohana, like you fought and fought and fought for justice to come, you know. How did you do that is my question. How did you you all stay so strong, you know, just to keep persevering forward? Dad was a spearhead. I mean, he <laughs> made it his his life's mission to get justice for my sister. And he did not let anything get in the way of that. You know, he was meeting with the police chief, you know, every month and mm-hmm. had developed a, a very close relationship with the police chief. Was that Chief Perry, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Dad was definitely the the spearhead for that and you know, wouldn't let the, her name die. And we sat down and thought about things. I, I remember thinking about things to keep her name out there, like fundraisers and charity events. And because of friends of the family, we were able to get in touch with the YWCA and help them put together a golf course or a golf tournament and mm-hmm. keep my sister's name alive and keep the public aware of what's going on and, you know, generate revenue for, to help fight domestic violence. But dad and mom definitely were the ones that were not going to let it go away or, and disappear. And, and it definitely took a toll on them. I can definitely say that for sure. You know, dad with his heart issues and, and mom with their health issues as well. So 
Um, but yeah, that, that was not going to let it fade away and, and for it to be forgotten for sure. We will not let anyone forget Sandy. No. Mm-mm. Well, it all started uh, at her gravesite. I promised her that I would go until we got a closure. Hmm. And I always lived by that motto. When I make a promise, I intend to keep it, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. Yeah. There were many things with Sandy that, you know, when she was growing up through, during the awkward ages, we never got along. She, she thought well, it was the cruelest and meanest father in the world. She admitted after, after she was married and, you know, wanted our help and all this. Uh, she said, well, I thought you were the meanest dad in the world, but oh, I can't live without you. Ah. We made up. We were, we were bonding and uh, getting quite pleasantly together with uh, each other over the last two or three years of her life. I can definitely say that they butted heads a lot because they had identical personalities. They're the oh. one and the same as far as personalities go. So. Sounds like me and my daughter Leilani. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can relate. I can relate very, very much so. And I'm, I'm sure it was different when Sandy became a, a parent herself. And is it appropriate and is it comfortable for you to talk about Sandy's children and how they are? They were. Three and five when Sandy died. Mm. And they lived with their father, who, who was the perpetrator. So consequently, he poisoned their minds. Children think Sandy was an evil w- woman. And Grandpa is, is unheard of. Grandpa is, is beyond that. They oh, won't no. talk. They won't talk to us. They won't listen to us. There's nothing. I've had family, friends, relatives that met with him and said, hey, we're cousins and all this. They just shot him. That's the way the, the two children are. Wow. I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. In fact, uh, Austin, the oldest one, he will turn 23 on the 24th of this month. And when I send him cards and all that, in some cases, they won't even uh, cash the check. Other cases, they'll just keep it till the bare minimum, maximum time before they cash it. Mm. No thank you, no nothing. We don't hear from them at all. I'm so sorry. This was something I anticipated when I decided to pursue Sandy's case. It was a decision that we had to make because uh, either we lay Sandy to rest the way she should have been and forfeit the relations with our grandchildren. That's a decision we made. In order to have justice... I guess I can ask both of you this question. You believed that he was the one who did it. It wasn't Ryan, her boyfriend. All of the evidence was pointing to Darren. There were two different people. Ryan was cooperative. We were up in Texas visiting with Lawrence and my brother at the time when Sandy was killed. So we had to rush back, and when we got back, we met Ryan for the first time. I never, you know, he wasn't he wasn't in our lives prior to Sandy's death. But he was cooperative. He had some issues, but uh, and still on occasion, I I communicate with him via emails. He's in he lives in Honolulu. Darren was just the opposite. Darren wouldn't have anything to do with us. He discouraged the two boys from even communicating with us. I uh, went and got a court order 
for visitors' right. He signed it and agreed. So every weekend, we would pick the two boys up. And it went quite well for about two or three months. Then started where the oldest grandson said, uh, I don't I don't really want to come over there. And I could see the writing on the wall. They were being badgered when I brought them back on Sunday evening. They were being verbally badgered. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Larry, can you tell us a little bit about the um, the Sandy G Memorial Golf Tournament that they have every year in Kauai? After Sandy got killed, there was, you know, as part of keeping her name and the case alive, this young lady that worked at the YWCA knew Sandy and Lawrence. She was one of their teachers when they were in elementary school at uh, St. Catherine's School. And this particular person was the principal of St. Catherine's School when Sandy graduated. So, you know, she knew Sandy quite well. Yeah. After Sandy died, I was, I was in, I basically told the police that, you know, I was going to be a thorn in their side mm-hmm. till the case was solved. <laughs> and a couple of years after this was going, it, it was looking like the, the case was going on the cold case files. So I set up an appointment with the police chief 
and went in to see him. And fortunately, he kind of took a, an interest in Sandy's case. He had retired from Honolulu Police Department as a major. And now he was a police chief at, on Kauai. So he had contacts in Honolulu. He brought in the, the cold case team from Honolulu. And we, you know, kept the thing going. And, but in the process, I got with uh, Renee, who is who had moved from an employee at the at the YW to the executive director of the YW. Oh, of the YWCA okay. on Kauai. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. After we got organized, about a year after Sandy's death, a year, year and a half, we decided to start a golf tournament. Wow. That's fantastic. We, we do it every year now. It's it's uh, like the 17th or 18th anniversary coming up. And it's August of 2023, yeah? Yeah. First tournament only had like about 13 or 14 teams. Still pretty good, yeah. Started from scratch. There was really nothing. We really didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> uh, but as we progressed for the last two years, we maxed out. The maximum is 36 teams that we can have in one, one ship, if you wow. will. Mm-hmm. If we get any bigger, then we'd have to have a second ship. Wow. The, the Y uses their earnings for uh, domestic violence and YWCA activities. But average is out maybe about, uh, on an average, about maybe 20,000. That's fantastic. How beautiful and it is goes that? to the foundation, right? For the YWCA, right? I get questioned over and over. I want to emphasize this. As uh, co sponsors of the thing, we get nothing. Yeah, you're not making money. Yeah, this did, is that's to, not what you're doing. Yeah. It. We're not there to make money. Well, we're, we're there to keep Sandy's name going. On that being said, it cost me out of pocket on an average between. Five hundred and fifteen hundred dollars every for every tournament, and Lawrence contributes some of it. But uh, we 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 got to where uh, we give out a sleeve a sleeve of three three golf balls in a box hmm. of uh, a logo uh, golf balls. We uh, through relatives, family, and etc. We came up with a logo for Sandy G and. Uh, had it printed, had it made out, and then we had it put on golf balls. And in fact, this year I spent over a thousand dollars getting two years supply of golf uh, <laughs> logo golf ball, which is one of the things I I donate to the tournament. Lawrence donates the logo tees and and ball markers. That's absolutely beautiful. We also get a lot of help from the community, um, a lot of donations from businesses and and you know family members and contributing and and even like. People just reaching out. We we have donations from all over, all over the country. Golfers coming in from all over the country. A lot of times, yeah, it's just another way for us to you know help keep the name alive as well as generate re- money for the YWCA on Kauai to help prevent. I've always said if we can help prevent one other individual or family from going through what we went through, we've we've done our job. Not only are we keeping my sister's name alive, but we're helping others not have to endure what my sister endured and what we endured as well. Absolutely. 100%. So Sandy has a monument at the YWCA on Kauai. And 
Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, Lawrence, weren't you there for the opening of that? I feel like I saw something with you. For part of it. But they okay. we had, It was kind of a two-part deal. They, they put a plaque there with my sister's picture and kind of her story. They had a true opening. With, they had the cranes put in. And um, I was not there for that. My parents were there for that. But they had a big celebration. And almost mm-hmm. a lot of my sister's friends showed up. And it was, it was right there in downtown Lihui. So it's it's definitely a you know monument that that keeps my sister's name alive, but definitely is kind of a a ray of hope there at the YWCA for anyone that you know just drives by or or comes by to see it. How it how it came came about was uh, when I when they, they agreed to start the golf tournament, so I kind of fell off felt obligated to go in and help them. So I was going in just about. Every day, five days a week, doing handy dandy work on on maintenance, so <laughs> little minor maintenance, whatever they wanted. Yeah, just a kokua mm-hmm, to help. Mm-hmm. One day I went in there and I was checking with the executive director to see what she wanted, if she had anything for me to do. And she said, Well, have a seat, let's have a talk. Mm-hmm. And I said, Okay. She said, Well, we, the board has just met last night. And they agreed to make a monument for Sandy. And they were interested to know whether I was, you know, I was a, a, agreed to it or whatever. Of course, keeping her name alive. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I was all for it. What they didn't tell me was, we expect you to make the monument. Oh, okay. That's a big piece to leave out. <laughs> so there was a one worker, a young fellow, he's in his 40s, that I, I was training. He, he worked there full time, so, and he wasn't very familiar with all the maintenance stuff, so I was training him on where, whatever I was doing, I'd bring him along and show him. So, long story short, he and I ended up making the the, the Moss Rock, we threw the Y, we got a, a, a guy to volunteer to donate a, a look at a payload or bucket full of uh, Moss Rock that we had to go down and pick up with a truck and haul it up to the, to the site. We had, I had another friend come in and there was a big palm tree there that we had to get out and some boulders we had to move. And he had a little payloader, so he, he came down and did that. And once we got it all leveled up, we I made the forms for the for the base, and uh, we did a moss rock uh, uh, monument stand plus a, a round uh, seat. Oh, so someone can sit there. What a lot of people, or most people, don't know is uh, on the seat. In it's moss rock around, and then a, a marble slab on top. But in the middle of that, we ended up putting a time capsule in. Oh, you did. What year was that that you did that? So a good 10 years ago. And uh, I had never done work with Moss Rock before, but fortunately the helper had had some experience. So we, between the two of us, we, we got it done. And ironically enough, the, the monument, even the logo of Sandy, we put on Sandy's golf ball, I have a cousin living up right outside of Los Angeles 
that he's uh, he's about two two months older than I am, and he's a very educated person. Uh, he's got a PhD, and uh, he's a part-time artist and photographer. So I got with him, told him what we wanted on on the monument, and between he and I, and over the phone, he drew up exactly what we wanted. Well, I promise you we will visit her memorial when we go to Lihue, Kauai. Yeah. I would love to know how do you imua, right? How do you move onward and upward? What is What does your healing journey look like? I'd love to know from your perspective first, Lawrence, if we could, as an uncle, as a brother. I want to know about you personally. How, how do you heal, if that's even possible? 100% keeping her alive. I have two children of my own. <laughs> my oldest, Sander, um, you know, when my wife was pregnant with my son, we were, we definitely wanted to keep my sister's like memory alive. And, you know, we tossed names back and forth and we finally decided on Sander, spelt a little differently <laughs> than the normal. It's um, S-A-N-D-A-R. So we basically took Sandra, my sister's mm-hmm. official first yes. name, and and flip flopped the last two letters. So you know, <laughs> and, and both my children, my son Sandra, my daughter Breland, both absolutely know my my sister. Although they, they never met her, they know her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we celebrate her birthday. We have her pictures up in the house. Um, obviously, my son's named after her. It's amazing because there's times where we'll just be sitting around and talking, and my daughter go, "Daddy." I miss Aunt Sandy, or my son will say the same thing. I miss Aunt Sandy. Oh. I wish I met her. So that's definitely, you know, it, it's keeping her memory alive and, and, you know, passing it on to my kids and making sure my kids understand. And, and you know, my son is, is, is very inquisitive. He's a very smart boy, and he's, he's always asking questions. Well, why? Why did this happen, Daddy? And, you know, why do people do that? Yeah. And, you know, it also gives – me and my wife an opportunity to educate both our kids on on situations like this and and to have them understand that this is not something we do if you see it happen you want to step up and put a stop to it and then they both know about the golf tournament like you said looking for for that ray of sunshine you know and and looking for the light in the darkness and and turning a good into a bad and so we we definitely having my children you know pass on the positive from it it's it's um it's something we definitely look 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 to do. You know, Larry, can you tell us what the light would be in your story, you know, as as Sandra's dad, what last words could you leave us? I don't know if there is a light for me at the end of the tunnel. The light was uh getting Sandy's case solved and putting her to rest. Maybe that's what I came to this world for. I don't know. But I I really have no desire, if you will, to have anything. I, I've done what I tended to do. Now it's just a matter of living life and trying to have uh, my our lives, my wife and I, as comfortable as possible. As far as I'm concerned, with me, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. That, 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 that I did what I wanted to do. In my humble opinion, Larry, I think you are the that, light. Larry. That is the light. <laughs> yeah, you are the light. I know your your wife and your son Lawrence and your grandbabies, 
and Sandy knows you're the light. I definitely want to say from the absolute bottom of our hearts, mahalo nui loa. Thank you so much for sharing your light, Sandy's light with us. I know it's not easy to talk about, but I believe in in moments that are supposed to happen for a reason. And today in this moment on Larry's 82nd birthday. We were supposed to be here. We were all supposed to be together and to share Sandy's story. And we promise you we will not let the world forget her. Once Sandy's uh, case was solved, I had agreed with uh, Dateline at the time that uh, I would give them the full information I had. And and they agreed not to publish or, or air it till after the case was solved, after the trial. Beautiful. And they held up to their agreement. I held up to mine. After that was done, I was I was bound and determined. That's it. I got what I, I did. What I wanted to do, and I was not going to participate in any additional broadcast. Which Oxygen Lawrence took over. I didn't. I didn't participate in that. So. Podcast. Uh, I'm not familiar with it. Something told me to go ahead and participate in it. So consider yourselves lucky. Aww. We are. Aww. We have to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here. You got two new nieces and, yep. and Lawrence, you got a new cousin, so or new two cousins. So well, we, we welcome both of you into the Ohana. Ohana. <laughs> but like I say, any of you come to Kauai, it's like I said. Today's message of hope and healing goes out to the memory of Sandra Gallis. In this story of absolute heartbreak, we never want to lose sight of the person whose light was lost way too soon to such tragedy. Sandra was a beautiful, strong local girl with a strong inner drive. Her father even said in grade school that she had perfect attendance and was described as being a teacher's pet. Also in high school, she ran track and she danced hula. Sandy's Ohana, her family, shared with us that she was full of energy. She wanted to do everything all at once, and she was a absolute go-getter. Sandra shined as a gymnast, and she even had dreams of becoming a journalist one day. After she separated from her husband, she became an assistant food and beverage manager at the Grand Hyatt on Kauai where her co-workers said that she was a great manager and she would give her all to everyone. Sandra would never become the journalist that she dreamt of being, but at the time of her death, she was truly coming into her own. She ended up getting married young and she had two beautiful children and she was a devoted mother. She was just finding out who she was meant to be. And so today, we want to honor that bright light that was Sandy. Onward and upward, Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. We'd love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. And one small request, 
If you haven't already, please find us on iTunes and give us a good rating and a good review if you like what we do. Your support is always cherished. Until next time, aloha. Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Carolyn Talmadge. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.